0: stay in contact as well especially if you're someone like me who started with no network you have to start from scratch stay in contact it's easier said than done I know but just keep the person up to date with what you're doing you never know what doors they can open for you
1: everyone and welcome to the Student Lawyer podcast series. Whether you're at school, sick, form, university, thinking about a career in law or exploring law careers, you're in the right place. We are the one-stop shop for student lawyers. If you'd like to join the student lawyer as a writer, please email hello at thestudentlawyer.com. This episode is sponsored by the University of Law. The University of Law offers a range of undergraduate and postgraduate courses and master's degrees alongside an award-winning pro bono clinic so you can build up your legal experience while studying and their experienced career service will enable you to put your best foot forward when launching your legal career. The courses are employment focused and based on real legal practice so you'll be better prepared for the workplace. Part-time and online study options are available so you can work and study at the same time. Click the link in the description box of the podcast to find out more about the courses on offer. Hello
2: everyone, welcome to the Student Lawyer Podcast. My name is Stephanie, I'm a final year law student, future trainee solicitor and I'm the host of today's episode. Joining me today is Sherelle Appleby, in-house pupil barrister at Brown Jacobson LLP. During the episode, Sherelle talks about her experience training in-house as a law firm and explains how the culture in a law firm differs from a traditional barrister chambers. Sherelle also talks about some of the most memorable cases that she has worked and assisted on and provides exceptional tips for student lawyers starting out in their careers. Sherelle, welcome to the Student Lawyer Podcast. It is wonderful to have you here with us today.
0: Thank you. Thank you for having me, Stephanie.
2: <laughs> the pleasure is all ours, honestly. So I thought that we could kick off the uh, the show by well asking you to introduce yourself and your career history to date.
0: Thank you. Um, so I'm Sherelle Appleby. Um I'm from South East London. Um I'm the first in my family to get a higher education degree. Um in terms of my career history. Um I'd say it's been a long one. (laughs) And so I did, obviously, GCSEs, A-levels, and then I went to Brunel University for four years to do a law degree. And then I did what was then the bar professional training course, um, which I think is now the bar practice course. And. and as soon as I finished that, I went straight into full-time employment um, and became an assistant advocate at Brown Jacobson. And I've recently now started Pupillage in September of this year. Yeah, so that's, that's the history so far. <laughs>
2: Congratulations. I mean, it's all just like... Um, tremendous accomplishments that you have uh, made throughout, you know, like your education and securing this position at Brown Jacobson, which is a terrific firm, um, and securing pupillage as well. I mean, the odds are really not tilted in people's favour. And I just think it's... It, I just think it's so um inspiring to see people really go out there and just keep at it in order to you know fulfill their um their dreams. So yeah, massive
0: congratulations on that. Thank you. um I love that you said the odds are not in people's favor. Um I did a talk with my colleague. And she referred to getting pupillage as the Hunger Games. And that's kind of been ringing in my head. So you're amazing.
2: (laughs) Oh my God, that's so funny because um, I've always referred to getting a training contract and getting pupillage like the Hunger Games. I think Mm. I've I've actually um, spoken about that before on a podcast that we did, you know, years ago um, before I started out my own journey in it. And, you know, it is, but I... I do just think that if you keep going at it and you have confidence in yourself, you will get it. Um, So yeah, top tip there. And we're already in, you know, just underneath that five minute mark of the podcast. (laughs) So you mentioned that you did law at university. Um, So what were the main reasons you chose to pursue a career in law and um, a career at the bar in particular?
0: So I didn't always know what I wanted to be um I kind of flitted around in my head like yeah I'm gonna do this I'm gonna do that um and it was getting quite close to A levels and I was trying to convince myself yeah yeah I'm, I'm gonna be a journalist this is what I'm gonna do but I didn't actually do anything to get there so um when um my parents questioned me and was like so wh- what are you doing to get there and they were like you don't really want to do this do you I was like no not really <laughs> So I was flitting between things and I said, okay, I'm going to be a lawyer. I've I've got this. I'm going to do it. So then my mom was like, okay, so what are you going to do about it? I was like, I'm going to do research. (laughs) I was like, I'm going to really do something about this. (laughs) So I was looking into it and I said, okay, I I can't be in an office 24-7. It's just not me. I just get bored and I want to walk around and, and do stuff. So I was like, okay, so I can't be a lawyer. And then I looked and I saw, oh, barristers. Like, okay, they don't look like they're in the office all the time. So um, my mum had managed to get a friend of a friend to get me into a mini pupillage because we don't have any lawyers in our family. And um, luckily I'd I had this contact and went along, and I really didn't like it. But <laughs> And I was like, oh no, I hate it. It was nerve wracking being in court and having to speak to strangers for the first time. And I was like, I don't like it. Wow, I really don't like this. What am I going to do? But I said, okay, you've got to stick it out for the rest of the week because my mum's managed to get me this experience and it's not going to look good. (laughs) So it's coming towards the end of the week and I'm in Croydon Crown Court. And Anyone from Southeast London knows exactly what I'm talking about. It's not nice court. (laughs) shadowing this case and I see a barrister who is a guy from my church and I couldn't believe it I had no idea he was a barrister and he was I'm pretty sure it was a burglary case and he was just speaking and I was just mesmerized I was like wow wow this is amazing and all of a sudden I was like yeah 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 I can do this and um he just happened to turn while there was an adjournment and he said, What are you doing here? Because <laughs> I should have been green and crown court, of course. And he was hoping I haven't got myself into any sort of trouble. I said, No, no, no. I'm just, I'm just shadowing. <laughs> And um that that was the turning point for me. I said, yeah, I can do this. Um, and I wasn't sure if it was because I knew him. I wasn't sure if it was because it was a black gentleman that looked just like me. And it just it just made such a difference. And I said, yeah, yeah, this this is the career that I'm I'm gonna pursue.
2: That's a really um interesting story that you you tell there. Um I do, I think that it's about um well I think that law is a people business and people that mm. are attracted to it usually um usually want to have you know connections with people. It's all about like the client relationship and you know mm. doing justice for you know ordinary yeah. people, that kind of thing. Um and I know that when I started working in a barrister chambers and I was surrounded by, you know, barristers from from all different levels and um, walks of life and involved in different areas of the law. It was getting to know them as people that attracted me to the profession. Um, So when you, when you mentioned that, you know, you saw that gentleman that you knew from church and you could, it, it triggered something in me too. And I thought that, oh, that's when your spark was, you know, was there. Um so yeah, I do think that's interesting. And I just, you know, I you just can't um can't uh oh God, what's the word? Emphasize enough of the power of speaking to people in order to get, you know, like yeah. their lived experiences. Um, but yeah, your career journey and your route into law is um, really interesting and a very inspiring one. Because you know, if you didn't have met, if you didn't meet that gentleman, it, you could have been like maybe put off. That's, um, that's the thing because
0: it was it's it, the thing is it is scary going <laughs> to um, It's a scary experience, but um, and I think it's representation that makes such a big difference when you see people that look like you that can do it you Think to yourself, okay, then sure I can do this.
2: Yeah, yeah, I agree with you, I really do. Um, so you've mentioned as well that you're working in-house at Brown Jacobson. So I was wondering if you could tell us about your experience of training in-house there, being the first team member to embark on the firm's two-year pupillage program. Um, so perhaps you could tell us what your day-to-day involves.
0: Oh, I think, um, what did I do? last week what did I do this week <laughs> it's a terrible question that I've asked
2: isn't it But <laughs> one that the listeners want to know so badly
0: yeah it's because all the day's blur together. <laughs> so um but before you
2: before you proceed on that perhaps you could just explain um a little well, just tell the audience um a little bit about Brown Jacobson because it's quite a unique position that you've got um isn't it
0: yes um I think it's one that not a lot of people know about um which I'd, I'd like to start screaming from the roof because it's so hard to get a pupilage, yeah. um and just draw so much attention to in-house counsel because it's an avenue that not a lot of people know about and not a lot of people use so I personally had no idea when I first um applied for the assistant advocate role at Brown Jacobson that they even offered pupillage until I was getting through to interview and they spoke about it and I said oh my gosh I've hit a jackpot (laughs) and it's so important that people know because you're getting the same training and I feel like being a barrister is a traditional role it's a traditional and quite niche profession and I feel like people have one perspective on it and it's Chambers and that's it. That's all we really hear about, that's all we really talk about. So there's this avenue that not a lot of people are using and we know there are so many applicants each year fighting for this and so many great people that are missing out on such a great opportunity. And so I would say my experience is very similar. The only difference I would say is that I'm working a lot closer with the solicitors and I will manage my own cases for certain clients as well but I still get instructions from solicitors throughout the firm and Brown Jacobson does a range of different legal areas and we can take instructions from many different teams so in that way you are still working as, as, as a barrister and you take your instructions, we have a clerk and everything. <laughs> um, oh so, that's amazing. Yeah. So it's it's very similar. Of course the difference in um how you get paid as well. So I would get a salary, whereas self-employment um I know that's dependent on the work that you do throughout the month and um obtaining that money. So that's also a pro of being in-house. Um, in terms of my day-to-day, um, so I have been up and down the country <laughs> in the last few months. Um, I've shadowed um, quite a few inquests because um, we take a lot of instructions um, regarding that. I've also, I've also shadowed quite a few things that I've done already. Um, because as an assistant advocate, I was already in court. But um, of course, being in pupillage, you um, you have to tick off your list. Yeah. So I've also shadowed quite a few um, regulatory hearings that we do. Um, we prosecute um, on behalf of the teaching regulation agency, um, or teachers who have allegedly been involved in misconduct. So I've shadowed those as well. Um, shadowed special educational needs hearings as we represent local authorities um, and disability discrimination hearings. So my day-to-day is um, quite varied. Um, Say last week um, I was in Birmingham County Court shadowing a small claims case and the following day i'm in a special educational needs case so it's, it's very much the same as being in uh, chambers where your day-to-day can vary of course depending on whether you go to a specialist chambers um i would say that brown jacobson is similar to a mixed set chambers so where there are loads of different specialties. And I really enjoyed that because I couldn't pick <laughs> what I wanted to do. Um, and it was only coming to Brown Jacobson that I really decided, yes, I, I quite like education. Um, mm. And as we was discussing the, the people side of things and being able to make that difference. Um, so it's, it's very similar. And I really encourage people to look into the in-house council route because there's significantly less applications going through in-house because people just don't know about it. Yeah. So um, hopefully this is um, in, enough to, to raise that awareness and hopefully we can... Get a few more applications in for in-house counsel and get people those pupilages. Sending yes, <laughs> that, that message
2: across, I love it. Spreading the good word.
0: <laughs> so it sounds
2: like you've been involved in so many interesting cases and inquiries, and um I imagine that you have again so much experience from doing your assistant advocate role. Um, yeah, yeah. Are there any experiences or skills that you hope to
0: develop even further as your pupillage goes on? Um, So I I would say that the assistant advocate role has has put me in a a really good place um, because I have that confidence going into court and I feel like you develop it as you go in more and more you, you develop that and as you're on your feet by yourself mm. I would like to increase that confidence in <laughs> more complex cases um because um, of course as you go on the cases just get um, a bit more weird and a bit more wonderful <laughs> yeah. and just knowing how senior counsel deal with those cases has been really reassuring for me that's what I've taken in this uh, two months that I've been on a um, pupillage is that um, sometimes when your cases can just go to the left you can think to yourself oh it's me it's, it's because I don't know what I'm doing but being able to shadow senior counsel and seeing when cases really do go to the left and they're a lot more complex than what I was dealing with and seeing how they navigate that and seeing how they handle difficult witnesses and Difficult representatives on the other side is just so useful, and it's definitely things that I will take into my own practice um, when I am on my feet in a few months. <laughs> um, I've I've really found that so so useful, especially in terms of my confidence in my abilities as well. Um, yeah, I- that.
2: I suppose that the more you shadow people, the more you watch people. That's how you um, start to layer up all these um, different experiences of how the senior counsel will um, navigate their way through difficult cases. Yeah. Is, is that is that correct, or, or yeah. are there other ways yeah. that you know people can learn these um, these skills?
0: I think being a barrister, in particular. I feel like you need to see it <laughs> yeah. and really be in the experience, which is why um, for those who want to be a barrister, I always say start doing mini pupillages and do it at loads of different chambers. Mm-hmm. Do it at different ones, um, usually some mix sets, because then that way you can get to see different areas of law because it's different in the book <laughs> as it is in, in person. Um, and everyone navigates things differently so start with the seniors look at the juniors and see how they navigate things as well because they'll also be so useful it's been really useful to see the juniors in my team and how they do things how they even take their notes um and do their attendance notes to solicitors it's everything is so useful and you sit down and you look at your own practice and you say yes I want to take a bit of that and a bit of that and it's it's nice um the first six to be able to cherry pick from people and say yep I like what you do I like what you do um and you begin to develop your own style and your own practice
2: Mm, yeah thank you for sharing
0: that
1: I'd like to take a moment to speak about the University of Law, which is the university I decided to study my LPC at. The University of Law is the sponsor of this podcast and makes it possible for us to continue bringing these episodes to you. So we really appreciate you supporting us by supporting our sponsors. What really sets the University of Law apart from other universities is its belief in training students for the real world from the moment they accept a place. The University of Law's experienced career service and award-winning pro bono clinics offer students the chance to get real life legal experience which can boost employability. They offer a range of undergraduate and postgraduate legal training and master's degrees designed by qualified experts to help students excel at any stage of their career. Their courses are employment focused honing key skills in a teaching environment based on real legal practice. Part-time and online study options are also available on many of their courses. Courses to help students work and study at the same time. If you'd like to find out more about the courses on offer, please click the link in the description box of the podcast.
2: So we've spoken about, you know, typical barrister chambers set and, uh, you know, you're working now in Brown-Jacobson, which is, you know, a traditional law firm, if you like. So it's often said that Solicitors are keen to work in a team and Barristers independently. And aspiring lawyers can choose uh, which path to pursue um by you know just really determining how they like to work so as a people barrister working in-house at a law firm do you think this is true or would you recommend this
0: I would say yes <laughs> given the nature of the work of a barrister um you do work more independently I would go to court by myself um whereas solicitors are in the office and sat in a team however um you are not alone in that you can send out your little SOS call as I have done many a time to my team um when the cases are starting to um turn to the left as I said previously. Um, I think it is something that if people are weighing up whether they wish to go down the solicitor route or the barrister route it does make a big difference. If you can think on your feet and think independently um or having of course the client's best interests at heart it it does make um such a big difference um if you prefer to have that team and be really close knit and have that um just be able to turn to the side and just ask um, whoever's beside you um what um what is best to do um i would say to more consider the solicitor route but i would say that it's it's a skill that you can develop it is a skill that you can develop and as you go into court a lot more often as we've spoken about um me wanting to increase my confidence your confidence will increase in your own ability to have the client's best interests at heart and to know what to do next I would say the biggest difference is the public speaking. It's the biggest <laughs> difference. Most of my um, solicitor friends, even in this firm, say, I don't know how you do it. I can't do it. It makes me sick. <laughs> so, that's the biggest difference. I think if you're OK working by yourself and you think the barrister route is for you, then go, go to some mini-pupillages, see, see how you feel. And do some debating, mooting, things like that, to really give yourself a flavour of working by yourself and in, say, a, a smaller team. But it's that public speaking element, I would say, is the, the biggest difference um, in terms of... Um, I know you asked about the, the culture difference um, between um, traditional chambers and in-house. Uh, I, I want to say that it's... Um, I want to say it's pretty similar. You're not going to get a completely different experience, which is what I think um, has been the perception of in-house counsel, that it's not quite the same level of training, it's not quite the same. You're still in with senior barristers who have been called to the bar for some time, who know what they're doing, who are amazing, and you're going to learn all those amazing skills. And the great thing about being in-house is that I can see self-employed barristers as well. So next week, I'm going to shadow a case where we've employed someone um, external. So <laughs> I've got the the best of both worlds, really. Um, in terms of culture, um, I can't speak too heavily on um, Chambers culture as I've only seen what I have from mini-pupillages, but everyone seems close-knit in their own teams as well as part of chambers as we are as part of the barristers team it's the only difference is, is we have a much wider team in that we're closer knit with the solicitors um who form part of our teams as well and can call us up and ask us about cases they're doing so it's it's not too much of a difference and I wouldn't say that you're losing out on that experience, which is what I feel sometimes the perception is of in-house because people don't know. Um yeah. so d- definitely go for it. Definitely. <laughs>
2: That's really helpful. Thank you for sharing that really helpful. Um so you know you've mentioned about uh matters that you've been involved in um you know already and you've already done your um You've only been in pupilage for two months, but you've also had your assistant advocate um, position prior to that. So would you mind telling us about um, a memorable case that you have worked on, um, why you were an assistant advocate and your involvement in the matter?
0: Yeah, I've been in it for, um, I was in it for three years. And the one that came to mind was um, a special educational needs case. Um, I've mentioned earlier that we represent the local authorities in such cases. And it was um, an appeal brought by a parent, um, because it's family, I can't go too into it, um, because they're not published. Um, but it was to do with the wording of an educational healthcare plan. So these are put in place for students who need extra help in school, um, sometimes due to disabilities. And there had been um, pretty much a stalemate between the parents and the school. But the child was still attending the school, which is something that often happens. And that's, of course, not what you want, because you want the parents to have a relationship with the school, especially if the child's still attending. And it was (laughs) one of my first ones (laughs) going in. And I was um, quite nerve-wracked. We had um, members from the school. We also had some... I'm pretty sure we had either a physiotherapist or an occupational therapist and um it was it was quite difficult um because i had to navigate my way around what their evidence would be and it just dawned on me why don't we just take a pragmatic approach here and why don't we just talk to the parents about what the issues are now to avoid the any sort of friction at the start i went and spoke to the parents' representative, just to get a feel of w- what their thoughts were on taking this pragmatic approach and all of us just getting together and just having a conversation, because that's what I feel is sometimes needed and can be the barrister's role, which um, is, is so required in these matters that have become so contentious that you've gone all the way to court but there's this child at the center that we need yeah. to think about and that's all I could think of and it really hit home because we have a child in our family who has an educational healthcare plan and I've seen how their parents have struggled and so it made me think I'd, I'd really like the lawyer to talk to them and to listen to them and see what they want and by the end of the day we were all in the same room talking about the wording, we'd agreed the wording, we hadn't needed to go before the tribunal. Um, I'd managed to type up the document and there was no need for us to sit in court and have the back and forth and the questioning and creating more and more tension, especially for this child who is still at this school Mm. and we will have to then deal with that after we come out of court. And it felt really good to have been able to start to restore that relationship because sometimes I feel like being a barrister, sometimes you need to go in and you need to win (laughs) because um, that's just the way the case is. But with these types of cases, especially where there's a child involved and especially where there needs to be an ongoing relationship between the parties, sometimes that pragmatic approach is really needed. And I felt really good in myself in not having to go into court which is a strange feeling but um it felt really good to begin restoring that relationship between the school and the parent and knowing that going forwards this child doesn't have to deal with the tension between the two parties where they they spend most of their time if they're not at school they're at home and you, you don't really want that friction there so that that felt really nice. Yeah, that was a nice case.
2: <laughs> I'm not surprised that that was your most memorable case. I think that's um, that's really lovely. And when you were talking about, you know, taking a pragmatic approach, I think that that's so important and something that people perhaps you know, tend to maybe forget because they're um, involved in law and, you know, litigation and they perhaps may think that, um, you know, going down the the court route is necessary at yeah. first. I mean, when I was um, doing case studies to prepare for my um, training contract interviews and, you know, all those these kind of practice things, um, I'd sit down with my mentor and go over... Um, my thoughts and one thing that he would really emphasize is you know is this taking a pragmatic approach because the pragmatic approach will probably save everybody a lot of time and money Mm -hmm. Um, that's the that's the goal at the end of the day really and to get a, a an outcome that everybody wants and um it just reminded me of what you were saying so I think that that's really um a really great inspiring um story and really great adv- advice to help people um with their application process. So um thank you for that. Um, I think that's great. Um, so could you tell us something that most people don't know uh, about what the life of a pupil barrister involves?
0: I think um following on from my last answer um mm-hmm. is that sometimes your witnesses will not give evidence and that's not a bad thing um like you were saying about saving the time and saving the money and getting the approach that you want of course you have to take it um as as it goes (laughs) because you may really need to go in and and win your case so for example um in disability discrimination act cases we um defend we need to go in and we need to win (laughs) but there is the option of that pragmatic approach even right up until the last minute of asking the parent would you like a letter of apology (laughs) and just call it a day and then we don't have to go in so it's just knowing when to do that also um cases are constantly evolving I feel like that's something that I hadn't really considered until going into the role and saying, this has not gone the way that I thought it was going to go. <laughs> right up until when your witness starts speaking, understand, <laughs> all of a sudden, they will say something completely different. Um, so I'd shadowed a case a few weeks ago, um, and it was an inquest and our witness started saying something we weren't expecting. Right. <laughs> so, so it's um it's it's something that you again, it's nice to view how senior council deals with that because it's so important because it happens to all of us where all of a sudden it's 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 going wrong. Everything is going wrong. What do we do here? Um and just seeing how how you navigate that. Um, I think another thing that people might not consider is that you are up and down the country um, quite often so um, one week quite early into starting um, pupillage I was in Peterborough one day then Loughborough and back to Peterborough then in London (laughs) all in one week and it was tiring (laughs) but it was Really great to be able to dip in and out of different cases. So, I would say get that caffeine up (laughs) to start that (laughs) pupilage. And also, I would say learn how to take a note of what happens in court because um, often it's so helpful to the barristers you're shadowing that you're also taking a note. And if you can learn to get as close to verbatim as possible, you'll be really useful, especially when the barrister turns to you and says, do you remember what the witness said about X, Y, and Z? You don't really want to be sat there just staring at them saying, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> you can be of real use to um, to that barrister. And also for your own journey, um, just taking a note of what you've seen being able to remember those cases, especially you're going to be on your feet in the next six months. So take those notes, um, especially of just how the barrister um, manages certain things. So um, I've taken notes on how witnesses were handled, um, how certain things were dealt with, just for my own interest so that I can look back and say okay these are my little top tips from this person and that person um like I'd spoken before about cherry picking really write down the tips <laughs> and don't forget and pupillage is about what you get out of it so try and get as much as possible make as many notes as possible yeah it's it's been a great experience so far um I'm, I'm quite nervous to get back into court, actually. You
2: know what? I'm sure it's like when you uh, when you get on the stage and suddenly the lights come on mm-hmm. you think you might freeze but I'm sure that once that happens you know it's just kind of like this this um, person takes over and, it, and it's right there and it's like um, it's just like become second nature to you
0: yeah, I'm, I'm hoping so I'm hoping so it's like you, you don't forget how to ride a bike so I'm hoping that just get back
2: on you'll be fine you'll be fine <laughs> one question I want to ask you off the back of that though um, it's something that I've always struggled with so um, I'm asking this because I can only um, presume that other people may struggle with it as well. How do you find it's best to take notes? I mean when I've I've been sitting with say a um, lecturer at uni He's been talking to me about an essay that I'm writing. Um, I tried to take notes, and sometimes they're just going too fast, mm-hmm. and I can't keep up. So, do you have any
0: top tips for um, getting around that? I would say, in that situation, I always ask the person to slow down, and I feel like I feel I feel like it can be quite difficult to be able to say to the person, "I'm, I'm just taking a note." I've done mm-hmm. it quite often in court and said, I am taking a note, please slow down, or please just be aware that I am writing down um, notes of what you're saying. Um, You don't need verbatim what they're saying. And as you start taking notes more and more, you'll begin to see which parts are the most important parts. I say that, very hypocritically because I write down exactly what the person says or as close to it as possible but that's only because I um, I find it more useful um, especially <laughs> in a court setting but sometimes you just can't do it um, and that's okay you just need that point so that point where they are completely contradicting their witness statement you're gonna want as much of that as possible. But when they're just talking about, say, um, their background and things like that, y- you can just take a, f- a few little notes. It's something that you develop over time, um, just cherry picking that. But it's also just having that, that confidence just to say, please um, do slow down. I- I've found that I do it quite often. On the phone now as well um because we take telephone attendance notes and even when calling um making my little sos calls and saying what do i do here um i i find it quite often i'm saying one moment i'm just writing what you're saying and it does trigger the person to slow down because you've said to them i'm taking a note um so definitely try that out um but it it does get easier um (laughs) over, over time (laughs) (laughs) it's a no thank you for sharing so we're drawing close to the
2: end of the interview now so um, I have one final question to ask and that is uh, what are your top tips for aspiring barristers going through the application process
0: I would say um, resilience is key and learn from the closed doors and the rejections because they're going to come and it's not a nice experience, but don't beat yourself up about it, which is easier said than done, I know. But if it's something that you really want, you can do it, you really can do it. Um, I would also say, make sure each application, each year you go through the rounds, have something new to add. There shouldn't be a year where you can copy and paste everything and nothing has changed. Always look at the last applications and it should be the next following year. And you should say, yep, and I can build on that and I can build on that because I've now done this, this and this. Um, I'd also say get a mentor, reach out to people Stay in contact as well, especially if you're someone like me who started with no network. You have to start from scratch. Um, Stay in contact. It's easier said than done, I know. But just keep the person up to date with what you're doing. You never know what doors they can open for you. Um, I had got myself a mentor just before um, the pupillage interviews came out. And they happened to know a pupil who was starting at a chambers I was going to interview at. And I was like, this is amazing. I can sit down and I can speak to this person. So get those mentors, create that network of people. If you don't have it, message people on LinkedIn, be that person. It's fine.
2: (laughs) I love that person. Mm -hmm. That person, you know, gets started. It's the perfect way to to increase um, your network. Exactly
0: exactly and most people that they're, they're going to answer um eventually that's <laughs> yeah, it
2: cuz sometimes these messages sit in the inbox a little yeah. bit but they do get answered
0: exactly exactly it's it's so useful go to all the talks um that give the pupillage top tips go to those take notes um, then go back to the notes. Actually, go back to them because many a year I've taken notes and then just completely forgotten. So go back to the notes, pay attention, um, go to the interview um, talks as well. Just because you're not quite there yet doesn't mean that you, you shouldn't be taking notes on how to excel in those interviews. Um, I'd say preparation is key with um, the pupillage application process, Um, especially if you're working full time. This is the only year where I actually took time off to write my applications because working full time and doing applications, we know is is just almost impossible. You're not going to get in the amount of time and put in the amount of effort that you want because you're tired and that's okay. So this is the first year that I actually took a week off um, in January. So during that um, application process time and said, okay, this is the week where I am getting it done and it makes the world of difference. It really does. I know it's harder for those who are studying because you can't just say, right, I'm not going to go to uni for a week, (laughs) but do try and allocate that time where you are, only working on those pupillage applications because it makes a difference and get everyone to read them. I had my whole family reading them, all my friends are reading them. They might not even quite understand, oh, Sherelle, you're doing this again. Yep, I am. Read it.
2: <laughs> read it for
0: me. <laughs> and get them to, to tell you what to change, what to add in. Everyone will have a different perspective, especially on those questions that are um the ones that ask about you as a person, get them to read those and get them to help you with those because you won't, you can't see yourself from their perspective. So when the application asks them, tell us something about you, I found that one hard. I don't know what to say. <laughs> I don't know what to say. But when I sit down and speak to my sisters, you can say, oh, this, this, you're friendly. And, th- and everyone will have different things to say. So get everyone involved. It's a team effort to get you there. <laughs> <laughs> love it <laughs> and you'll you'll make it you'll definitely excellent. make it. <laughs>
2: excellent well thank you so much for joining us for this episode of um the general podcast um and for you know sharing your life as an in-house um pupil and for giving such amazing tips on on going through the application process and um, winning at the hunger games yeah <laughs> it's been so, so much fun talking to you and learning about your experiences um but yeah thank you ever so
0: much for being a guest thank you so much for having me I pray the odds are in everyone's favor
2: i'll put links to uh val jacobson's um uh program in the show notes so if anybody wants to check that out please do Um, again Sherelle, it's been fantastic talking to you and thank you for everybody for tuning in to another episode of the student lawyer podcast to hear more of the student lawyers podcast hit the subscribe button and leave us a star rating and review If you would like to join The Student Lawyer as a writer, please email hello at thestudentlawyer.com.